Hey, good morning. Welcome. Let's all stand together. I want to greet those who are here in person and those who are watching online as well. My name is Mark, and we're about to sing a song that begins with these words. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, I want to ask, what is it about Jesus's blood that can make us clean before God? If you're new to Christianity, that can sound kind of weird or even morbid, but there's nothing magic about the red blood cells and white blood cells and hemoglobin in Jesus's blood that, that enables it to wash away our sins. It's the fact that his blood is a way of saying his life. He gave his life, dying on a cross, taking the just punishment from God that we deserved. And this glorious, justifying work that Jesus did on our behalf, it is finished. It's complete. All that was needed to accomplish that has been done. And so now the question is, what's Jesus doing now? And I appreciate the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Orland. We've been going through that in a book study. And he poses this question, what's he doing now? If the work is finished, if he's in heaven at the right hand of the Father, well, Hebrews 7.25 tells us what Jesus is doing now. It says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. So let's just pause. As we gather as a church this morning, we are believers, followers of Christ, and we are here to draw near to God through Jesus. So that's us, okay? If you're a disciple of Jesus, that's us. So he's able to save to the uttermost. You, how? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. You know what Jesus is doing right now? He's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Well, wait, I thought his work was finished. The justifying work is finished, but the work of saving us to the uttermost, that salvation reaching into every corner of our shame and guilt, reaching into every relationship and circumstance in your life, and reaching all the way to the end of your race until you go home to be with our great triune God. That's the work that Jesus is actively interceding and praying for you to be accomplished and brought about. Isn't that wonderful? He justifies, he sanctifies, he lives to make intercession for us, and now we get to lift up our hearts and sing. So let's sing, What Can Wash Away Our Sins? Nothing But the Blood of Jesus.
nothing but the blood of Jesus for my pardon this I plead nothing but the blood of Jesus My sin is washed away 
is how I know I'm secure. This is how I know you're my Lord. This is how I know I'm adored. In the light of your grace, in my darkness, in the light of your grace. just want to go over a verse that we're going to go over later. It's 2 Corinthians 10. You don't have to look it up. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 17. It says, those who, those who boast, boast in the Lord. And let that help understand this next song, which is, which is yet not I. That is not I, but Christ through me. So let's 
just ponder on that. It's just like, help that remind you that it's not me, but it's Christ through me.
say it's not us but it's you through us Lord we just thank you for allowing us to be able to be here and worship you Lord that all we want to do is just exalt you glorify you praise your holy name Lord so open up our heart Lord open up our minds so we can hear your words and just learn more about you Lord we thank you we thank you Lord for just another day in Jesus name we pray amen morning church I really love the end to that song when the race is complete still my lips shall repeat yet not I but through Christ in me Um, at our men's breakfast last weekend actually we talked about the race and finishing it well and that's just like kept impressing on me the exact same principle so it's just something to keep in mind and to love so much Um, but it's my joy to personally welcome you here today to Redeeming Grace Church Uh, for those of you who don't know me my name is Destin Patty Um, I'm a member here as well as a student at George Mason University. And so I want to, first of all, thank you for your continued giving and support to this ministry. Um, It's a very great testament of the work that God is doing and the generosity in your hearts uh, for you to be able to do this. And so we just thank you so much for that. Uh, And actually in relation to that, we invite you today for our annual plan and budget meeting uh, that's happening after service today at 1215, right here in this auditorium. And I know it's right after service and you're like, well, I want to get lunch, but I promise this will be really fast, short. There's a, there's a lot of time left for a Q&A session right afterwards as well. Uh, so you, have, you can ask all the questions you want um, about what's going to be talked about today. Uh, there will also be child care for children ages six months to five years in room 104. Um, and Sarah Jane Strzelowski will actually be at the door to uh, check your kids in. So now we're actually going to go into a time where we can greet each other and just welcome each other and continue to um, encourage each other to continue to run the race well. And so children are now also dismissed to Grace Gates as well.
make our way back to our seats now if we could make our way back to our seats now hello test if we could make our way back to our seats now hello if we could make our way back to our seats now that would be great all right you can turn in your bibles to second corinthians 10 Kylia Hunt is going to read God's word for us this morning. So as you're turning to 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1 through 18. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, 
I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us, to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves, as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you, without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Lord, we pray that you just help give us ears to hear this morning. Open our hearts that we might see wonderful things from your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, this morning as we come to chapter 10 here, you note there's a little bit of a change in tone from the previous two chapters. We've had three messages on giving, and there's a change here. Um, there's, uh, there's, uh, there's a group of leaders in the church. They're mentioned not by name in First and Second Corinthians, and Paul doesn't actually name them until they get, he gets to chapter 11. These guys are causing trouble in the church. He's hinted at this in First and Second Corinthians. So to help us get sort of, sort of situated in our text today, I want to just read who these guys are from chapter 11, just real briefly, so you know who he's talking about. So um, it's, um, if you look at uh, chapter 11, verse 13, Paul calls these leaders, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. It's pretty, pretty significant language, isn't it? And he also says in, a chap in chapter 11, verses four and five, I consider that I am not at the least inferior to these super apostles. And he charges them earlier, he charges the Corinthians with uh, turning from the true gospel to the different gospel, the false gospel that these false apostles are preaching. So that's what's in the background of chapter 10 here as we uh, come to this. These leaders are belittling Paul. They're saying, He's really not that impressive. He writes kind of really weighty letters, but when you see him in person, he doesn't really have much charisma. 
He's not a powerful speaker. He doesn't charge anything for his uh, talking like we do. We're, we're the much better leaders. And Paul's in a difficult spot because if he blasts them in his letter, he's going to do exactly what he says they say, accuse him of doing, right? He writes tough letters, but he really doesn't, he doesn't have much power when you meet him head on. But Paul wants to come against these guys, but he wants to do it in a way that honors God. So he defends his ministry and he calls for a change in these Corinthians and their response to these leaders in a way that contrasts the worldliness and unbiblical thinking of the ministry with a Christ-like spiritual leadership that Paul himself leads with. So this morning as we approach our text, we wanna, it's kind of a, an unusual portion of the Bible. If you read this in your community group this week, you, you know that it's, it's hard to kind of get your hands around it at times, but I wanna ask the questions, what's at stake here? What difference can this passage of scripture make in my life? If I really believe what Paul is saying here, would it actually make a difference in our lives? And as, you're, as we read, remember there are three different, if you will, characters or actors in this. There's the Apostle Paul, there's the Corinthian church, and there's these false apostles. And so as you're thinking and reading, just keep that in mind. We, so the text breaks down into three points today. His appeal, obedience to Christ, his authority for building up, and his boast, Christ's approval. Begin with his appeal, obedience to Christ. He writes in verse one, I myself, Paul, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. These false leaders have spread lies about Paul and they're seeking to undermine his authority and his influence in the church. And he quotes their criticism here in verse one. He says, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold when I'm away. That's what they're saying about him. I'm humble when when away from you when face to face, but bold when I'm away. And the word translated here, humble, it kind of carries the meaning of timid. It's not like a a virtue, like we would think of humility. So they're saying this, Paul's timid when he's face to face, he's not much. But why does Paul then start with the meekness and gentleness of Christ? He starts right where they're criticizing him. And that's because the starting point for Paul in recognizing and evaluating spiritual leadership is the teaching and the character of Jesus Christ. He starts with Jesus. What's he like? What's his teaching say? And he appeals, he says, I myself, Paul, in a deep appeal, he's saying, I'm appealing to you, plural. It's an urgent and personal appeal. He's saying, I want you to get this. And he's appealing by the character of the one who said, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. He's appealing by the one who said, if anyone would be great among you, he must be your servant. Paul is appealing from the life and character of his Lord and Savior, their Lord and Savior, your Lord and Savior. And uh, before we move on to the next part here, I just wanna ask you, as you think about your spheres of influence, all the things God's called you to, He's called you to be a mom. He's called you to be a a boss, a worker, maybe a community group leader, a deacon, an elder. Who are you modeling your your life and ministry upon? Is it the character and teaching of the, that's, Paul's getting at that. This is our model. We're to model our life and our influence. Everything we do 
on the character and teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's not afraid to use his authority. He's, he says, uh, you know, after making the appeal, he writes in verse 2, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. He's saying, don't make me do it. It's basically what he's saying. You know, he's going to confront these guys. And uh, he makes that clear in these three chapters. He's going to, but his greater concern for the Corinthian church is not the leaders, but it's these, the church is receiving them. They're, they're influenced by these false leaders. They're impressed by their charisma and their outward leadership and their displays of flourish. You know, Paul's appeal is to a different kind of ministry, if you will, a cross-shaped ministry, characterized by the one who we read about in chapter 8, for our sake, though he was rich, he became poor. He's saying, don't walk according to a worldly mentality when you're thinking of leadership in the church. Don't be impressed with outward things. He says, he appeals to them to obey Jesus and he begins to answer their charges because he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Now, they were accusing Paul of a substandard spiritual life, that he was not as spiritual as they were. And so, the second use of the word flesh in this sentence is that's what he's talking about. The first use of the word flesh in the sentence is he's, he's just basically saying life in the flesh. So he's saying, yes, it's true, I walk in the flesh. I'm actually alive, I'm walking in Corinth, I'm walking in Ephesus, but the ministry we do, we wage war. That's the spiritual ministry. It's not according to the worldly standards that these guys wage war according to. And then he goes on. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Raised, I'm sorry, we take, we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. He says, our weapons are not of the flesh. He's not speaking here about guns or tanks. He's not speaking about artillery. What he's speaking about is rhetorical flair, charisma. He's, he's saying, we're not impressive in the way we do ministry. We're not filled with charisma. But I, I, don't, I don't employ the same weapons as these super apostles, but rather my weapons have divine power because they're God-given weapons the weapons that God has given the church for taking thoughts captive, for transforming lives. The Corinthian church had a celebrity pastor mindset. They wanted guys who could really bring it. They wanted to, to feel good because they were in a church where there were people who could bring the word with power and flair. You can see this at work in the church today too. His appeal is to return to the gospel of Christ and employ its weapons. Take your thoughts captive. Turn away from this worldly mindset when you're thinking of church. The weapons of this warfare have, have the power to take every thought captive to obedience to Christ. There's a picture there. It's kind of like a, a general who's ready to counter every move. That's the power of the gospel at work in our lives. 
to overcome the flesh and sin. Paul is appealing to these Corinthians to use these weapons and to turn away from this worldly mindset. And it's not complicated. This is, this is really simple. What are the weapons that God gives us to turn away from worldliness? Well, it's the helmet of salvation, right? Remember our salvation. It's that breastplate of righteousness that Christ gives us. It's, it's the belt of truth that we stand in the truth of God's word. It's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And it's that shield of faith that we hide behind when the devil attacks us with his fiery darts and it just puts them out. And our feet are shod with the readiness of the gospel. We're ready to take that gospel because it's near to us. These are the weapons of our warfare, brothers and sisters. So let's be ready to take every thought captive. So his appeal is to the obedience of Christ and his authority is for the building up. It's another contrast with these leaders. Look what he says in verse seven. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is in Christ, let him remind himself just that as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to be appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say, and here it is, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. How would you like somebody to be writing that about you? Let such person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. He basically starts by saying, open your eyes, Corinthians. Just open your eyes. See what's before you. And where does he immediately turn? He turned back to Christ, right? Think about that. The, this is the Apostle Paul. He could have said, you know, um, these guys are confident in themselves. I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he came in a big light. And he anointed me to be the light to the Gentiles. Take that. How's that for super apostles? You know? He is, in church history, he's known as the apostle, right? I mean, he could have done that, but he starts with Christ. I'm Christ's. If they think they're Christ, he, he, he didn't want to one-up these leaders. He's not, he wants them to, he wants the Corinthians to understand the true nature of spiritual leadership. So he says, if any was confident in Christ, let him remind himself, just as he is in Christ, so also are we. In chapter 12, we're going to see this when we get to it, when he communicates the vision. You know what he calls himself? A man in Christ. A man in Christ. That's what he is. He's a man in Christ. What's your identity this morning? Where do you find your identity? And, and the point Paul is making here is his authority rests in his relationship to Jesus Christ his calling on his life. That's what the authority rests in. He wants them to know the nature of that authority. So in verse eight, he says, even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not destroying you. Jesus Christ gives authority in his church because Jesus Christ ultimately rules the church. And Paul desires to the Corinthians to respond to the authority of Christ, not the authority of men. So what's the nature of that authority? Well, it's, it's for the building up of the saints. These guys are exercising authority so they can get personal benefit, financial gain, maybe get a good book deal. 
They want to speak at the big conferences. And what does he say? He says, no, it's for the building up of the saints. That's what the authority that Jesus Christ gives. And, and it's important to note how Paul is leading here. He's appealing to them on the basis of the word and the gospel for their good. And it's not about who gets the credit. He's not taking credit for this. Because true spiritual authority is always about building up God's people. You know, I, I, I was, as I was meditating on this this week, um, I was reminded of our polity paper, which is available online. But there's a section of it that I thought would be edifying to read this morning. This is from the first polity paper uh, that this church put out with the elders and the congregations a number of years ago before we came together as one new church. And it says this, Speaking of the elder's authority, it says the elder's authority is ministerial. The idea being that the pastoral, that pastoral authority is bound up not in the office itself, but in the Bible. An elder with no Bible is an elder with no authority. A believer with a Bible has authority to ask questions, correct, and pursue the mind of God with the elders. Elders may not step outside the bounds allowed by the scriptures, they lead from the word and to the word of God, not from and to themselves. They seek for people to follow Christ, not the elders. Amen. We want to say to you, I speak on behalf of the elders here, follow us as we follow Christ. And if you see us getting something wrong, come and talk to us. We do this together, right? That's the point of being in church together. There are times we need to be corrected like these guys need to be corrected. You know? So let's do this together. Let's walk out. But the purpose of our leadership is to build you up in Christ, to help you know Christ and love Christ and serve Christ and obey Christ. Paul is encouraging them to reject the value systems of these false leaders and understand what true spiritual leadership is about. Imagine if someone had said that to you. His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Would you respond with such grace? Would you be appealing to them? You know, um, Paul's not concerned about his own reputation. He's concerned about the Corinthians. And, and, and how do we apply this? You know, I think this is one place where we can, we can actually put ourselves in the place of the Corinthians. We say, well, where, where, does this, where does this, you know, we have a church here where we live in a transient area, and people sometimes leave our church to go and move to a different part of the country. We have a lot of people who do that, right? Sometimes people go and leave, and then they come back. And then sometimes they go and leave, and they come back again. And this morning, we have Dennis and Tammy Wishmeyer, who now for the third time have left and come back again. And we're grateful that you're here, Dennis and Tammy. They lead our military ministry. When you go out, and some of, some of you go out and just stay in, in a different part of the country, what kind of leadership are you looking for in the church you're going to? It's a really big decision, right, what church you're going to go to? It's really important. What are the things you're looking for? Is it humble, faithful leadership that teaches the word, that's entreatable, that's open, that walks with the people, do the elders smell like the sheep, as one man said, because he's, they live among them? Those are the things that you want to look for. 
So I want to just encourage you, allow this to, and, and, and if you're here and maybe you're looking for a church, are you looking for that kind of church? You know, o- over the years, uh, you know, I, as I was meditating on this and talking to the guys about it, I, I have had the privilege of being a part of some very successful conferences and being with leaders who are well-known. And, and in a certain sense, I look back on that and I realize I, I lost some, in some ways I lost my focus at times. And I wasn't always focusing on Christ. And God has been kind to me. It doesn't impress me if a person can speak to a large audience. What in, I was talking to a member of our church this week at the v, Vacation Bible School and I, I was talking about this and I said, what impresses me is faithfulness to love Jesus and love others through the years. That's what impresses me. You see, a marriage that's work, working hard for 50 years, that impresses me. They're not giving up, they're working hard. You see, a community group leader has been serving for 30 years and they're just faithfully investing in whoever's in their group now, but they've had maybe 30 groups over those 30 years. That impresses me. See, you see, a, a local church pastor, maybe doesn't have a huge church, but he's teaching the word and he's forming Christ in them. That's what impresses me. Not because it's impressive, but because it's about Jesus. It's about forming Christ in people. And it's not self-focused. That's the nature of spiritual authority. It calls God's people to obedience to Christ. And it is exercised for the good of God's people so they can grow in their love, knowledge, and obedience to Jesus and encourage others to do the same. So that's Paul's appeal, to obey Christ as authority is for the building up of the body. And now Paul wants the Corinthians and he wants us this morning to know that Paul's boast is in Christ's approval. Look at verses 12 through 18. I'm not going to read the whole section to you here. But just look how many times Paul uses the word boast in that section of Scripture, in those eight verses. If you count it up, it's six times. And he ends quoting the prophet Jeremiah, who's, who, which ben, who ben spoke of this morning. He said, let, Jeremiah wrote this, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Do you think uh, he may want his people to understand something about boasting? These leaders were commending themselves. They were commending and comparing themselves to one another. Apparently they were writing letters of commendation to each other before they would come to the church and they would say things like, well, this guy has incredible speaking ability, great flair, rhetorical flourish, and he charges the highest fees. You're gonna really want this guy. Because that's, that was impressive. It was impressive when you charged a lot of money. That's what made a speaker impressive in that culture in Corinth, which was a very worldly culture, an urban culture. And we can see from the following chapters, we, we're not going to turn there, but they were boasting about their, their Jewish pedigrees, their training in rhetoric, their ability to, to get these large fees. But these leaders couldn't see accurately. Why? Because they were comparing themselves to one another. And the Corinthians were caught up in it. In a sense, these leaders were boasting of their work. The Corinthians were impressed by it, swept up in it. And they're commending one another and they're attacking Paul in his labors. And when Paul defends himself, they criticize Paul for defending himself. 
You know, Paul didn't need to boast. Do you remember how he identifies himself at the beginning of this letter? He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. How's that for a letter of recommendation? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. But he doesn't boast about this. Rather, he simply testifies to what God has done through his personal faithful gospel ministry. He is not interested in personal glory in the slightest. Do you see that? Can you you get the emotion of that in, in this text? In verse 13, he says, if I'm going to boast, I will only boast in the work that God has given to us. I'm only going to boast in what God's given to us to do. And then he goes on to remind the Corinthians. What does he remind them of? He reminds them that there was this second missionary journey where Paul came from Philippi, went to Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and then he comes to Corinth and he goes to the synagogue and he starts preaching the gospel. He gets kicked out of the synagogue and then he goes and preaches the gospel. He has some opposition and what happens? This is in Acts 18. The Holy Spirit comes to him and he says, don't be afraid, Paul. Go on speaking because I have many people in this city. And Paul stays in Corinth for a year and a half. He's reminding them the reason they're believers is because of his ministry, his sacrifice, his labors. And he does it in such a nice way, doesn't he? Their existence, he says, and if, if you read in 2 Corinthians 3, he, he says this, you, you didn't see this whole issue of letters of recommendation until we get here, but he writes to the Corinthians, he says, you are our letter of recommendation. That's what he says to them in chapter 3. You, you want to know my letter of recommendation? It's your spiritual life. It's that you're a Christian, you know Jesus. It's the work of the gospel through me in your life. He's not boasting about it. It's not I, but Christ in me, in a sense, is what he's saying. He knows who's responsible for the success of his ministry. If anybody lives that song, it's Paul. Look, look what he says. You know, in a few months, remember, I think it was two weeks ago, it was Justin, he, he read from Romans 15, because in three or four months, Paul is going to get to Corinth, and he's going to write the letter to the Romans from this church. Just three or four months from when he's writing this letter. And what does he say at the back end of Romans 15? This, this is how Paul describes his ministry. He says, Romans 15, for I will not venture to speak of anything, and watch that, listen to this, except what Christ has accomplished through me. To bring the Gentiles to obedience. How? By the power of the Spirit of God. I'm not going to boast because it's Christ who's worked through me. And the power that did anything in your lives, it's the Spirit of God. It's not my speaking ability. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the weapons of warfare that Jesus Christ has given us. It's the power of prayer and the work of the gospel and the word together. Paul doesn't boast because he knows who's responsible for his success. He knows that the commendation of other people is fleeting. And he knows on that last day, he knows this, they're not going to be singing about Paul. They're not going to be singing Paul's name on that last day. And they're not going to be singing your name and my name either. We're going to be caught up in the glory of Jesus Christ. 
And if, we, if there's anything that we get, the rewards we get, it's as we're faithful to do the works that he's prepared for us to do beforehand by his grace through faith. Amen? May we be faithful to do those works by grace through faith. Brothers and sisters, faithful spiritual leadership will point to Christ crucified and acknowledge that behind any success, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. No man, no woman can do anything apart from the Spirit of God. And what he's hoping, he's hoping that when he comes, that they will have uh, taken to heart his plea here and they've done something about these leaders. Why? As he says here, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of the work already done in another's area of influence. Paul wants, uh, he wants to, a church that is built on the gospel. And he knows a church that is built on the gospel, that it's healthy, that's submitted to humble leadership, that's building into Christ, that's going to be a strong missional church. The health of the church actually is important to the success of the mission. It's why he's so urgent. He, this is why it's so passionate for him. You know, you, you, think, you know, think, about where, think about where Corinth is. It's, on, it's in Greece. It's re, right by the water. You'd think Paul might say, well, I'm going to take a few years to maybe hit a Greek beach, you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick back. I'm going to take a little vacation. I'm going to put my feet up, I'm, you know. But no. He, he's just passionate. He wants, to, he wants to go back to Jerusalem with the offering, and then he wants to stop in Corinth, and then he wants to go to Rome. Why? So he can go where the gospel hasn't been preached already. He's concerned about people who do not know Jesus Christ. It's a passion for him. It runs in his blood. It's why he's so concerned for the church that they be healthy and that they know Christ and they be built into Christ and that they worship Christ because a strong church will be a missional church. It'll be a sending church. It'll have resources and it'll be focused on planting churches and reaching unreached people groups. And I, I remember, you know, I, I went to Urbana 79, but they t played John Stott's message from Urbana 76, and I later have gone back. It's available online if you want to listen to it. But there was a, a line by John Stott at that conference. He said, we all must be global Christians with a global vision, for our God is a global God. Our God cares about the nations, brothers and sisters. We need to care about them too. And so let's pursue godly faithful discipleship. Let's know Jesus. Let's love him. Let's obey him. Let's tell others about him. Let's equip others to know, love, and obey him. And let's do it together. Let's walk away from this saying, have I in any way embodied some worldliness in my just desires in the church? Let's be men and women who love Jesus and tell others about Jesus and form Jesus in each other, right? We want to be men and women who know, love, and obey Jesus and encourage others to do the same. And so, you know, I, I think all of us can say at times we've, we've embraced some worldliness in our thinking. And what's, what's the best way to deal with sin? It's just to give it back to Jesus and turn away from it, right? And the Lord, he gave us a meal. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper now. The Lord gave us a meal to remind us of what he's done for us. And so let's, let's, um, let's acknowledge we're, we're prone to these kinds of desires. 
the Corinthians, they had, um, they were enamored with leaders because their charisma was so great, but they missed their erroneous doctrine and their unbiblical doctrine. Why did they do that? Because they're still alive. They still got sin in them. And so we can all be prone to those desires. So as we come to the table this morning, let's turn to Jesus Christ and the commemorative meal that he's given to us to remind us that there was one who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself and became a servant, even to death on a cross. That's the one we're celebrating. And on the night he was betrayed to that cross, he took the bread and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. We're going to take this together. We're going to take this in a moment here. I just want to say, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this is a meal for you. If you haven't received Christ as your Savior and Lord, we ask you to refrain from partaking. But for the rest of us, just take a moment. And we'll, we'll take this when we're ready, and then we'll do the cup together. But take a moment and just reflect where you want to just commit yourself to Christ and Christ alone. Any part of your leadership, any part of your areas of influence, any place where you haven't made Christ and his character your model, where you've fallen short, relationships, just take it to the Lord right now. table to this morning. We have fallen short, but you have given your body as a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice, so that our sins might be forgiven. And we take this bread, reminding us of that, and that it is accomplished for us that one day we will eat at your table forever. Let's take the bread. saying this cup is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood this is a symbol of the new covenant we don't have to keep the law it's now written on our hearts the power of God is at work in your life you're no longer a slave to sin the Holy Spirit is at work in your life your sins are forgiven let's take this cup in remembrance We all can stand. We'll continue singing.
Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to His face away and his wounds which mar the chosen bring many sons to
I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ. He was crucified in weakness. He lives by the power of God. So let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And one way we can boast is by singing. You want to sing one more? How about all I have is Christ? The band's ready with that, so we're going to add that one in. Everybody ready for that? Amen. Yeah. All right. Let's do it.
Isn't it good to be together on the Lord's Day? Hear His Word, in the presence of His Spirit, fellowshipping with His people, and boast in Christ. If you're new here, I can't think of a better Sunday to have an introduction to our church. We're not an impressive bunch, but oh, what an impressive Savior we have. If we can pray for you, in any way, there'll be some folks that would love to pray for you. They'll be up here, and Paul Shirey will be up in that section up there with a the mask on as well. We'll have our annual plan and budget meeting right here in this room in 29 minutes. If you need childcare and you didn't RSVP for that, at 12 o'clock, you can make your way over to room 104, which is down at the end of that hallway, and there'll be a Grace Kids helper with a name tag on there who can help you with that. As you go into your week, we know it's not all going to be like this. So as you go, I want to remind you and send you with a benediction, a blessing for the road. Because as you leave here, you're, you won't be alone once all week. Because the Lord, he will bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift, lift up his countenance upon you and you, upon you. And through Jesus Christ, may he give you peace. Amen.